don't stand with us. It's not even cold in here. They should have stuck a thing. Two people up front so you guys all gather around and sing Christmas carols to them or something. It's not cold. You gotta sing Christmas carols. It's not cold.
what was Jesus? Which is dead. God. Okay, so me, I think that Jesus Christ, God gave us the gift of salvation. That's I think that's what Jesus was. And it was also grace. Do you think we deserve Jesus? Yes. Do you think we deserve Jesus? I don't think I deserve.
forget. Now, there was a, there was a, a line in there that really hit me about...
might have been involved in Haiti for over 20 years, and I actually lived down there for a number of years in something else, um, uh, doing water for life. They dug wells at many little villages around the country because when I was down there in the early 2000s, Katie and I were down there in the late 90s, most people drank out of the streets. There was no running water anywhere, very few places. And so they made this mission, Water for Life, they go around to all these small mountain villages around the country. <coughs> well, about five years ago, so Steve got in touch with God's Little Angels Ministry, and now he's partnering with them. They are as a church. Because what happened is, last year the president was shot, and since then the country's in chaos. And the warlords rule the country. <coughs> And um, so they come to these little villages, and whoever controls the well controls the people. And so it's become just a really a mess. But they actually just moved. The um, mission was in Port Prince. I'll go back there to Thank you. 
Lord, we just come before you, Lord, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, Lord, that we've heard already this morning, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for Phil and Michael, Lord, let's take over to Haiti. Lord, show your grace to the people there. With Steve and his boys, Lord, we thank you for them. Just pray, Lord, that this team will come together and be a blessing there, Lord. Pray for their safety. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just lead them, guide them, be with them every step of the way. Lord, with you, all things are possible. So we look to you, Lord, to strengthen us and help us as a church, Lord, to pray for them this week, Lord. And Lord, that then your grace, Lord, would be made known wherever we go, Lord. Help us to keep them in our prayers this week. Our Father in heaven, we just come before you with humble hearts and grateful hearts, well, Father. And I just want to uh, commend our brothers and Father, just lift up Brother Phil and Michael to you, Father, as they leave for Haiti in the morning. Lord, I just pray that you would grant them safety as they travel and in the country of Haiti as well. Lord, I just pray that this could be a time of. Uh, encouragement for them as well and a blessing as they go that they can be a blessing to uh, the ministry there, the children's home and whoever they might be in touch with. Lord, I just pray that uh, they can sense your presence and that you would go before them, Lord. And I just pray that your will be done and that your name would be honored. <coughs> and Lord, I just thank you for uh, their blessing and um, their willingness to go and being able to share in, in any way. Or just thank you again for your, your faithfulness in your name. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to just be a part of it indirectly. The blessing of them going forth and we just, as together as a body, bless them and send them in Jesus Christ's name. Oh God, that you go with them in all, all the grace that's in Jesus Christ. We just go flow through them to these children. Mm-hmm. It's about them, we know. Mm-hmm. Lord, we pray that you just cause your face to shine upon all these children in a great way through through Brother Phil and um, Michael. And then um, they'll learn more of your heart. Um, that's true for the fatherless and the poor in a great way. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, thank you for Phil and Michael, and I just pray that you would be with them on this trip. Pray that uh, you would keep them safe, and I pray that as they interact with these children and uh, those that take care of them, that you would just be able to, they would be able to be a blessing to them. Um, just ask that you would help us to remember 
Thank you. We'll try to remember to send you some updates as uh, we go throughout the week. We'll post it on the, on the WhatsApp channel and get a little report when we come back. We will not be here next Sunday. Um, we'll come back. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and 
you also learn of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declares unto us the love in the Spirit. In verse 9 through verse 12, Dad, I'm going to ask you to read. Verse 9 through verse 12. With this cause, we also there you go, just hold it up. <clears throat> For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The next portion is going to be 13 through verse 20. Wayne, would you read that? 13 through verse 20. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redeemed through his blood, even though forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of every creature. For by him we are all things created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, You're looking at me like, uh, uh, uh. Can you read verse 21 through verse 23? <clears throat> Thanks, Isaiah. <Yeah. coughs> and you that were sometime alienated, alienated from the enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present, you holy and unblameable and, un and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which has preached, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I call and made a minister. Now we'll continue the rest of the chapter. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, 
in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister. That word is a servant, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man, and teaching, that word admonishing, by the way, is the word coaching, coaching every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Well, if that word doesn't change you, you're dead. You're dead. Because this word is the most amazing prophecy, truth, of life to us as God's people. Did you hear what Paul was praying for them? I'm going to note in verse 9. Look at this prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, heard of their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, here was his prayer. How do you pray for others? You know, so often in my prayer life in the past, before the Lord really filled me with his Holy Spirit and gave me this prayer in my heart, I prayed for external needs for people. Lord, would you bless them? Lord, would you heal them? Lord, would you give them? But that's not what Paul prayed at all. Did you notice that Paul did not pray for one external blessing for these people? There was nothing earthly about this prayer. No earthly blessing. Would you be offended if Apostle Paul would come here and say, let me pray for you and pray these words for you? Or would you be encouraged? That all depends what you're asking the Lord for. What you're hoping to receive from God. Look what Paul prayed. I pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled with knowing His will for you. In all spiritual wisdom. It's not just enough to know His will. Now you have to know how to carry out His will. Wisdom is the action of knowledge. You can know all the knowledge in the world and become a great professor of that knowledge, but unless you live out that knowledge, you are a fool. It's foolishness to you. No one can look at your life and say, you're wise. You remember what Jesus said? Shows the world and us who is wise and who is foolish. Matthew chapter 7, after speaking the whole sermon, as we call the Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said, there are two kinds of people in this world. Both people hear my words. The foolish hear my words and do not do them. The wise hear my words and do them. And this is what they're like. A wise man digs deep, lays a foundation, and builds his house on it. And a storm comes with a torrent of a flood. A flood beats against the house, and the house does not fall. That's a wise man who hears my teachings and takes that truth, digs deep, and plants it deep, not here, here, in his heart, in his life, in his body, in his actions, in his tongue, in his thought life. He takes Christ's words and he thinks them. He speaks them and he does them. The torrent of life will come against you and beat on your life and your life will not fall apart. It will stand the storms of life because it's built on Jesus' words. Your heart will continue to trust in God. Your faith will not fail for all the storms of life. But if you're one of those who is a foolish person, you come to church every Sunday, you read your Bible even maybe every day, you hear Christ's words, but you do not do them. You don't dig deep to get spiritual wisdom. You just add knowledge. You don't look and read the word to see how you can obey that thing. You just read it for personal comfort. Maybe to soothe your conscience. To give you peace. So that you have some joy. So that you have a little bit of love. But your heart isn't to obey. Your heart is self-interested. For your own. It's like putting icing on your cake so you taste good that day. Guess what? The storms of life are going to beat against your life that day, and you'll fall. You'll curse just like the rest of the world curses when something goes bad. Maybe not in your mouth, but certainly in your thoughts. And as more, the more you think them, for as a man thinks, so is he, Proverbs says. The more you think, the more you will speak eventually. Maybe not maybe under your breath, not in front of your kids, not in front of your wife, but, but one thing you can't you cannot change is your heart. Your heart will get angry that day. Your heart will have all the emotions of the flesh. It will have the pride of life, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh. That day, you're going to crumble with every storm that hits you. Because you're like a house, Jesus said, that just builds on the sand. You see the truth? Yeah, I'll stick that on here like a badge on my chest. I'm a Christian. Okay. Let me test that. You say you're a Christian, Don. You say you're a Christian. He's looking scared. You say you're a Christian. Well, I actually would have hit him. Boom! Are you a Christian? What would you do? What did Jesus say that those who obey his word will do when someone hits you on the right cheek? You missed this one, sir. Will you be foolish or wise that moment? Did you come to hear or to obey? 
the difference? Any fool would quarrel, Proverbs says. Any fool. But the wise, the wise gives a soft answer which turns away wrath. The wise will obey Jesus' words. Not because they're just in his head. Because his heart is full of love for the one who hit him. His heart loves him. Has compassion on him. Because he looks into that person's heart and sees the anger and knows they need Jesus. And he's willing to take this opportunity of someone hitting him on the cheek and saying, it's my opportunity to share Jesus with that person. To share the love of God which maybe they never experienced in this world. Perhaps they were never loved like that. Not by their parents, not by anyone. Said this to God, and God says, Oh, 
Oh, so you've been out there traveling around, have you? Have you noticed my servant Job, who is righteous in everything he does? And the devil says, well, of course he is. Yes, I know him. I'll tell you why he's righteous, because you put your protection around him. I can't touch him. Of course he loves you. And God says, oh, you think that's so? Let's see. You can go ahead and destroy the things of his life. And see. Because the devil answered God and said, let me touch his life. He'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay, but you can't kill him. So here's what I see. God allowed the devil to bring evil into Job's life. Evil did not come from God, but it came through God's allowance. And with God's discretion. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. But with every temptation, he has made a way of escape. See God's goodness, even in our temptations. In James chapter 1, he says very clearly, God does not tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lusts and he's enticed. And then, when lust is conceived and it makes you sin, the end result is death, separation from God. So, but God is sovereign, and his sovereign care rules over even the devil. And in all through Job's life, Job didn't get it. But you know who Job wrestled with? This always encourages me. When those temptations and all that evil came upon him, who did he wrestle with about it? No. His friends, who said it was his fault because he had sinned, but his wrestlings were with God. He didn't blame the devil. He didn't wrestle with the devil. He wrestled with God to try to understand what was going on in his life. And it was God who gave him his answers. And the end result was his faith was not destroyed. His relationship with God was better afterward. He said in, in Job chapter 40, he said, My ear has heard of you, Lord, but now my eye sees you, and he worshipped. That was the end result. Job escaped. Yes. And now this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, that's where my faith is. Everything that comes into my life is allowed by God. Now, if I choose to walk after my own flesh and go after sin, I'll result, that result will be a death to my relationship with God in numerous areas. Now, God has wonderful mercy and he can resurrect that death, and that's what he does. If I turn back to him, he, he's full of forgiveness, but God is sovereign and he cares, and so the devil can only do what God allows him to do. However, here's how sovereign God is, and here's where my faith is in God. God may instigate it. The Lord, the Lord pointed Job out. Hey, devil, have you noticed? And so the Lord asks me, would you like to move? 
for me to point you out to the devil? Are you up for that? And I say, yes, Lord. If the end result is Job, yes, Lord. Because of James, in James chapter 5, he tells us this word to encourage us with Job. In James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endure. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There's our encouragement with Job. The Lord puts it right there for us. To encourage our faith in Him. So, I want to go back to Colossians chapter 1. And just, again, read this prayer that Paul was praying for the church at Colossae. Because this prayer is a life-changing prayer if we experience it. Note it again. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know what's going on. We're not like Job anymore where we don't understand. Why? There's a key difference. You know why? What's, what makes you different than Job? He brought a finger Oh, he did too. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now comes and gives us revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of his will that Job didn't have. Now, Job had a part of the Holy Spirit that was like an outside over him, and he spoke his words, and they're scripture to us. But the Holy Spirit living within us, that Jesus promised us, he would give to us, didn't come through anyone else except after Christ's finished work on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin, he went down into the dead and preached the gospel to them there. He rose up again and ascended on high as a high priest to all men. And now he said, I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. He will give you understanding. Jesus said an amazing thing the night before he died. In John chapter 15, he said to his disciples, from now on, I'm not going to call you my servants anymore. Because a servant does not understand what his master does. He just obeys. The master doesn't explain anything. He just says, go do. And the servant goes and does. That's the master-slave relationship of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, Jesus said, from now on, I won't call you my slaves. I will call you my Here's why. Because when I send the Holy Spirit, He will share with you everything the Father does. I'll give you understanding. That's friendship. When you become close friends to someone, what makes you a friend? 
What makes a friend a real friend? It's when you begin to know each other, right? When you get each other, when you begin to understand each other. You can share with your heart, completely open and bare with each other, and you still love them. You get it. That's why, how you become close friends. That's what Jesus said he's offering to us. That close friendship. And it comes through the Holy Spirit within us. Look what he prays. And to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, every part of your life. You can know without a doubt you're pleasing him. Now they didn't have that view. Very few have. A couple did. Moses. Some of them had the Holy Spirit poured out with over them. But this, the Holy Spirit within them, giving them this deep friendship with God. Yes, Moses spoke with God face to face. And I don't fully understand all of that. But the reason I believe in the truth I'm teaching you is because of this word. In John chapter 8 Jesus said this in John chapter 7 actually Jesus said in verse 37 now on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out saying he was in the temple if any man is thirsty then come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there was a difference. I don't know all that difference, because honestly, brothers and sisters, I read Exodus and the five books of Moses, but especially Exodus 32 and 33, where Moses went up and met God, and he spoke with God as a friend of friend, and his deep relationship with God that he had, and that friendship is a friendship and a relationship that I'm pressing into. I am also experiencing it, but, but Moses was special, right? However, Moses had to go to a physical place to experience that, up into the mountain. And there were all these physical elements of it. I can't read that Moses experienced that every moment of his every waking day. He had to go into the tabernacle of meeting for his face to shine and come out and speak to the people. You and I have the glorious light of the gospel shining within our hearts. In Luke chapter 2, Zacharias is prophesying of Jesus, and he said this, Until the day star arrives within our hearts, to give the full light of the gospel, the knowledge of Jesus Christ within my heart. And he stays there. Proverbs chapter 4 says, The path of the righteous is as of sun, rising from the sun, from the rising of the sun unto the perfect day. That's the experience of the Christian life. They didn't have that back then. We do today. And that is why Jesus becomes our best friend. And I want to illustrate this truth to you. 
through this prayer. Because look, let's finish the prayer. To please him in everything, I can have that confidence. I don't have to worry about, oh, I just please Jesus. Because you know what a best friend does? A really good friend. If you displease me, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to hide it in my heart and just like, or they think, idiots. Or whatever else, you know, I'm not going to be their friend anymore because they're mean. No. A real close relationship of a husband and wife. That's our bridegroom and his church. Jesus says, I'm your husband. I want to have the relationship, the best relationship that a marriage can have is the church and Christ. And Christ comes and he says to the church, I want to know you in a deep, intimate way where I do life with you all the time. And a good marriage, I like to use this illustration. No one else on earth does this. Well, my boys do, but they're a part of our home. But my wife will say to me, if we're driving somewhere, you've got a little horn sticking out of your eyebrow here. And I'm just driving along, and I'm like, I do? Yeah, and she just reaches over and get out! Not her! But I'm okay with it. She's my wife. She has the right to do that. I don't want a horn sticking out of my eyebrow. If it doesn't look good to her, it probably doesn't look good. So she has the right to just pop it. Makes me love her more. No one else has that right. Now, Jenny, if you guys would try to do it, then I'd have to turn the other cheek. I know, but it, it, it takes some grace. What are you doing, man? Plucking my eyebrow? That depth of friendship is what Christ does once to have with us. That friendship. And that's what we're talking about. And so if we're if we don't, if we displease Jesus, this truth set me free. Many years ago, and continues to do so. The Lord said to me, I love you so much. You don't have to walk through the day wondering if you're displeasing me. I love you. And if you're displeasing me, I will tell you immediately. I'll tell you. Even if it's just an eyebrow picking, sticking out of your head. Because I love you. So you don't have to worry. It's like, Am I pleasing to God? No. I'll tell you. He'll guide you. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of steadfastness and patience joyously. Now, have you ever seen anyone be steadfast? And that, that word steadfast is, is the word perseverance, or hanging on. Hanging on! Have you ever really hung on to something? And been joyful? Usually more desperate than that, right? It's like, I'm barely surviving here! Help! Wait, where's the song? See, Apostle Paul and Silas, when they were in prison in Philippi at midnight, and they were hanging on, they were there, they had gotten beaten up, their feet were in the stocks, they started singing. They weren't just hanging on. They were. They were having to be steadfast and patient. They didn't know what we know. They didn't know God was going to come and set them free. The jailer was going to become converted and his whole family was going to be baptized last night. And a church was going to be born in Philippi. They didn't know that. They went there to preach. They were beaten. They were put in prison. It was midnight. They were sore and hurting. Their hands were handcuffed and their feet in the stocks. 
like a wet sleep. So they started singing. Joyously. Steadfast, patient joy. Now you and I cannot do that unless we have the Holy Spirit, grace from God, pouring into our hearts. And that's what Paul is praying here. And he begins this this wonderful word in verse 4. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. That's it. The love of God is poured out into our hearts. Romans chapter 5 is a verse that often encourages me with this truth. And I come regularly to the Lord for it. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is that which takes my heart and it turns it up to God. And it brings me to peace with God. You know, when I'm at peace with God, when I'm doing His will, and I'm at rest in His love, you can hit me over the cheek and it doesn't take away that rest. Because I'm not at trying to be at rest with you. My heart is set upon Him. And I'm at peace. And that's why Jesus was not disturbed. Though he groaned in the flesh and even begged his father that if there's any way he would not have to be nailed to the cross. Once he started suffering, he was quiet. He was at rest. He wasn't angry. He wasn't, he wasn't enduring it. Because Hebrews 12 says that he endured the cross. However, his endurance produces patience. And that night, he had told the disciples, my joy I give to you, so that your joy can be made full. And that's what he wants to share with us when we take up our cross daily to follow him. <laughs> However those storms come, whether they come from other people or from the devil, they come from God's allowance. And my heart is set on him because I'm at peace with him. I'm justified. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And when I stand in that grace, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, I'm full of joy, not for what I'm experiencing right now, for the hope that's set in front of me. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and Rejoice for the hope that was set in front of him. And so do we. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Oh wait, I do it after all. I actually, this word exalt is the word, is the word boast. That's what it is. I boast in my achievements. No, that's the natural man. The world does that. I boast in my tribulations, the struggles of life. I boast in them. Yes! Hallelujah! Do you know what I got to experience today? This trial. This tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. My character is changing. That's what I'm boasting about. And it only comes through tribulations. And proven character, hope. It springs forth hope. 
disappoint. Why not? Because of this one truth. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's how it There's this beautiful illustration that John Bunyan gives in Pilgrim's Progress to Christian. He comes, he brings Christian, the, the Christian is in this big house, and, and this the guy is taking him through this house, and he brings him into this room, and he shows him a fireplace, and there's a hot fire burning in that fireplace. But there's a person who's taking buckets of water and pouring it into the fire, pouring it onto the fire. But with every bucket of water that it pours onto the fire, the fire like explodes, it gets hotter. And Christian is like, what is going on? That's not normal. He says, let me show you what's going on. Takes him behind the wall. And every time a bucket of water is poured out, there's someone here who's pouring some oil onto the fire. Now all of you know, I hope you know, and if you have an oil fire, a grease fire in your stove in the house, the worst thing you can do is put water on that fire. It will cause it to explode. I remember years ago, Katie and I went through a fire training, home fire training. And it's the one thing they taught us. They said it's the biggest mistake that many Americans make. And why their houses burn down, because many fires start in the kitchen on the stove. And someone's doing something with bacon or something with grease. And there's a fire, and the first thing they think of is get the water and pour the water on it. But when you mix water with hot oil, it takes the oil and explodes it, and the fire gets even hotter. That's the secret I'm telling you about. The Holy Spirit is the oil. 1 John chapter 2 says, And you have received the anointing, the Holy Spirit. And to illustrate this truth with you, I want to do this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 to the religious people, so today he'd be talking to us, the Christians, those who profess his name. He said to them, you appear outwardly righteous. You can read it in Matthew 15, also in Mark chapter 7, and also in Matthew, um, uh, in, in Matthew 15 and in Mark chapter 7, and also in Matthew 23. He said to them, all you Bible teachers, you people that go to the Sabbath, to the synagogue every Sabbath, this is what you look like outside, nice and white and clean. And the reason Jesus came up with this story is because they were giving him a hard time because his disciples had come in and were starting to eat and they hadn't washed their hands. And he said, what? They're dirty. And Jesus said, I'll read to you the Mark chapter 7 verse. In Mark chapter 7, he said to them, verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. 
name do they worship you? Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, ye hold to the tradition of men. Verse 14. And after he called the multitude to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the heart, that defiles the man. If any man has ears, hear it! Let him hear! And when leaving the multitude, he entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? So I think Jesus this morning, through the Holy Spirit, is saying to you and me, do you get this? Or do you lack this too? And that there's a real simple test that we can test ourselves with. Do you care more how you look on the outside than how you do on the inside? Do you spend more time with your hair and your face and showering and dressing yourself than you do coming before the Lord for his righteousness to be dressed? To come and be cleansed on your inner man every day. Your thought life to be cleansed. Your heart to be purified. Which do you spend the most time on? There you go. Which do you focus the most about? Which upsets you more? Dirty outside or dirty inside? There's your little test. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications or immorality, sexual immorality outside of marriage, the marriage covenant, thefts, murders, adulteries. Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality. That word sensuality simply means you live by your five senses. Where are your five senses? Taste, and see. Is that how you run your life? Do those five senses govern your heart? A sensuality. Slander, envy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, and they defile the man. But they were more concerned about the outer man. And here's what happens to us when we're more concerned about the outer man. The outer man gets cleaned over, over, and over again. And it stays clean, and it keeps itself clean. But do you know what happens when you only clean the outside? There are two people in the scripture that illustrate this beautifully to us. Two Saul's. Did you know there were two Saul's recorded in the Bible? Two men who both had the name of Saul. One was a king and the other was a priest. Did you know that? Yeah. One was a king and one was a priest. You all know about the first king, Saul, right? You know how how he was? He 
in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, turn your Bibles with me there, and we'll quickly look at it. You'll see something about Saul. Saul, after Samuel, took him and anointed him to be king. God said, go get Saul. He was out trying to find his, dad, his father's donkeys. Go and anoint him. And you know what happened to him? He began to prophesy. This thing was for real. It changed his life. He wasn't just out there a farmer anymore. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, it tells us, And Samuel anointed him, and, um, I'm sorry, it's in, it's in chapter 10. In chapter 10. Uh, and it came about, anyway, that um, God changed, in verse 9, that it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, so there was some change there, and those signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. Notice, did not say enter him mightily. It came upon him mightily. On the outside. When they came to the hill, a holy group of prophets met him. And there the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so that he prophesied among them. And it came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man there answered and said, Now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And he became king. But look what happened to him. His heart remained intimidated by the calling God gave in his life. And because of that insecurity in his own heart, he began to think more about what people thought about him than what God thought about him. And God tested him in two ways. You'll find the first test in chapter 13. The Philistines were coming upon him. He was 40 years old. He had now been established as king. And the Philistines came, assembled in verse 5, 30 thousand chariots, six thousand horsemen, and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs, in cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. And it came about as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, that behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
And Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The first command, the first test that God gave Saul was wait. Wait. Wait for me. This is still one of the first tests God gives his children. He doesn't give you a big thing to do. When you get born again, God doesn't say, Now go out there and do this and do that and do this. Almost always, he says, wait. Did you know it was the first test that the apostles received from the Lord Jesus after he ascended on high? What did he tell them to do? Wait for the anointing, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait. They waited, thank God, right? They waited. Boy, if they wouldn't have waited. But they waited until they received the anointing. One of our first and many tests in life, when God puts a call on our life, when he anoints us with the Holy Spirit, he says, now wait on me. And that test, establishes the kingdom of Christ within my heart forever. I learn to walk with God with patience waiting upon the Lord. And it's not a discouraging, depressing feat. No, I experienced Psalm 27 over and over again that David experienced when he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. While you wait, he strengthens your heart. That's what happens when you wait. When you don't, your heart is not strong. You do not get established in the kingdom of Christ. You go out to do your own thing. And you suffer. Because God doesn't with you. That's what happened here. That's what happens here. The second test came two chapters later in chapter 15. Now the Holy Spirit said, Samuel said to Saul, go. Go, Saul, and kill all the Amalekites. Why? Because when Israel was coming up out of Egypt, they asked to walk through the Amalekites' land. You see, they were cousins. They were Lot's daughter's children, the Ammonites and the Amalekites. And God said, don't kill them. Walk through them. But you know what they did? They said, oh yeah, come on through. And then they snuck up behind Israel. And they killed all the little ones and the weak ones and the, the lame ones. And they killed all the weak ones of Israel. God said, you got to remember this forever. Now it was payday. And so God comes to Saul, the first king 
his first commission that he got from God as king. Go kill them all. Kill them all. Don't leave one alive. Not animal, not child, not woman, not a person. I want them wiped off the face of the earth. It was God's justice day. And God commissioned me for this. But because Saul now was very deeply insecure, because he hadn't waited, he hadn't, his faith had not been purified and accomplished. Now that he went, he was scared. And he had better ideas. But do you know who he was scared from? Not the Amalekites. He wasn't scared of them. Who was he scared of? The people. The people. He was scared of his own people. And you'll read in chapter 15, they went and they killed almost all the people, but they took the best of the animals and kept them for sacrifice and even kept the king alive. And Samuel comes up to him and he says, What is this? And Saul comes out to Samuel and says, I have fulfilled the will of the Lord. And Samuel says, Really? What's all the bleeding of the sheep and the mooing of the cows I hear around here? And who's this guy? Oh, he's King Agag. I kept him. I don't know what he was going to do with him. Oh, Samuel said, why have you disobeyed the voice of the Lord? He said, oh, it was the people. The people wanted it. So I gave it to them. And something interesting happens with this song. Samuel turns away from him and says, this is it. It's over, man. Your kingdom is over. Now, he didn't die that day. It took many years for him to die. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul that day. This never happened again. Never again in his life. The outward anointing didn't happen. Because the inside was still so full of himself. Full of his own ways, his impatient ways. He thought better than God. He thought he could do the priest work if he had to when push came to shove. He thought he could just, he could take God's command and he could dice it up. Do what seemed best to him. And then he comes to Samuel and he says this, Samuel, don't run away from me here. You could at least do this. Come and sacrifice with me. Make me look good to the people. Come on. You know what God said? Okay. That's what he really cares about. It's what the people think of him. Go get it to him. Go get it to him. So Samuel did. No one in Israel knew what happened that day except Samuel. No one else knew. They all thought everything was great. Oh, Samuel ended up killing Agag, the king, and, and but he and Saul were the only ones in God who knew that God's anointing had left Saul that day. And it tells us that from then on an evil spirit came and plagued Saul whenever he wanted to. Tormented him. Because Saul had not taken that word like David did into his heart. Now the other Saul. Apostle Paul we call him. But his name was Saul. And this man was zealous for God with his whole heart. He says in Acts, he tells Israel, 
I have a good conscience before God. He was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he knew he was accomplishing God's will with his whole heart. And then one day, something happened, right? Yeah. God met him. Jesus met him in the middle of his busy life of serving him. And the Lord Jesus spoke to him into his heart. And this is what he told him. Saul, you're going to be blind. And now, let these men lead you to the city that you're going to go and persecute the Christians. And there, wait. Wait. Wait for three days until I send someone to come and tell you what to do. Interesting. Jesus could have told him what to do. Jesus could have just said, Saul, from now on, this is what you're going to do. Life changed. No blindness, no waiting. Immediately he just starts preaching the gospel. That's not what happened. His first test, the same. Wait for me. Someone else will tell you what to do. And Saul went for three days and fasted and prayed in his blindness. And God sends an, uh, just a normal guy, one of the Christians there at Antioch, or Damascus, to come and say, Ananias, to come and say, Saul, the Lord has told me to come and tell you what to do. And we don't know what he all told him to do. But this is what Apostle Paul says in his own testimony in the book of Acts. He says it three times. You can read this story in Acts chapter 9. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. Arise and go to the city called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, but behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay hands on him so he might regain his sight. And so that's what happened. And then he took some food, he was strengthened, and then he began to speak. Now he records this to us a couple different times. He records it to um, Festus in Acts. I'll find it here. Um, in Acts chapter 22, he records it first in front of the Jews. And this is what he says. He says, verse 7, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. And I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And then he continues to talk about here what the Lord told him, what Ananias told him. And he says this, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So here's what happened. The one had the Holy Spirit poured mightily on the outside of him. He prophesied for one time. And then he went. And he wasn't willing to wait for God. And then he disobeyed God. The only part
to someone who is born of the Spirit. The cup is turned right side up. This is what faith is, brothers and sisters. This is what faith is. Faith is taking my life like this. Everything in my heart remains right there. Outside I look beautiful and clean. And I can walk around and seek to please God and bless people and serve God. And I look beautiful on the outside to everybody. But faith turns the cup right side up. And here's what it does. Fulfills the prophecy of Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart. Takes the lid right off of your heart. It opens up. Opening my heart to God and allowing Him. Romans chapter 5. The Holy Spirit to pour now, pour out within my heart.
rivers of living water come. But they come because my cup is up. And God is pouring in. And sometimes I allow or I put your opinion back in there. And it begins to weigh me down a little bit. And then the Lord has to keep pouring in till he floods it out again. Keeps it clean so that there's nothing in my cup except a river of living water. That's it. Nothing else is in there. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's God's love being poured within so that that's always pouring without. And whenever you and I fail and we begin to add anything kind of in there or allow other people to throw some stuff in there, when we come to the Lord and we lift up our cup, He always pours within. This was how Apostle Paul lived his life. And he says it to us in Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you read there. He says, when the Lord did this to me, I didn't care anymore what any man thought of me. I didn't receive it from men, and I don't serve men. I received it from God, and I serve God. That's a little restriction I want to give you, because that's the truth of this word. Faith produces you can try it the other way and look pretty all your life on the outside. But unless you're willing to let the Lord do this, and yet it might make your outside look a bit messy. People won't think you're that nice, perfect person anymore that they always thought you were. The lid is off. And the outside sometimes gets a little stained until the Lord washes it again. And there's something else about this. This cup is very susceptible to anything you want to put in it. You can spit into it. You can throw rocks into it. It's an open heart. It's not close to anything in any way. But most importantly, it's not pointed this way. It's pointed this way. And that's where it receives the love and shares it by overflow. Father, I pray that you would do this in each one of our hearts. Oh, Lord, our God, to you we look. We take our faith and we take our hearts and we take our guts and we set it right side up and let you take the lid off, Lord, today and cleanse us from within. Make us rivers of living water that you continue to Pour into our hearts by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Thanks, Brother Phil, for that.
they completed their game. Very interesting, you know, through the whole cycle series, like the amount of people that are here that take home that each one could receive. That was the blessing. What is so amazing with the Word of God is there are so many different aspects of it that can speak to our heart. Wait, wait, uh, I think we do have a Christmas dinner, so uh, I think there's some good food out there for us. Well, uh, I think there's all I have to share, so why don't you bow our heads to a word of prayer and I'll ask the blessing of the new meal. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy to us and for your grace. Lord, I just uh, want to thank you for the spiritual food that we've heard this morning, Lord, that not only can you just look good outwardly, but also inwardly, Lord. And it's because of you, Father, it's because of you. Lord, we just uh, thank you again for your, the uh, spiritual food and also for the physical food that has been prepared. Bless my hand that's prepared it. Bless the terrifying, Father. Thank you for your, for your mercy. <laughs> 